0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.
1: Please stand with me as I read today's scripture, which comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. You can follow along with me on the screen behind me or... The Bible's around your chairs on page 943. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated.
0: Father, I thank you for another opportunity for us to worship you together this morning. I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to you this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you will help us to love you more, to treasure your son more, to rely on your Holy Spirit more. Father, I I ask for your help this morning. God, I have nothing of value to say in my own strength. I have nothing of value to offer in my own wisdom, God. I pray that everything that I say today will be from you, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, help us to focus intently on you. I pray that we would savor your word together this morning. God, I pray that we would hear your word with joy. Father, lead us in the truth this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as always, it is such a blessing for us to be together in worship this morning. We are living at a time when the Sunday morning worship gathering, the service is becoming more and more devalued. And it is so easy for us to forget what happens when we gather together to sing and pray and read and and ponder the scriptures together, there's something powerful that happens in this place every Sunday morning. There's something powerful that happens when we as the local church, we assemble together for worship. God, he is with us in a very special way when we're here together. And I say all that to say, it is such a blessing to my heart to be with you all and to see journey through Romans this morning by looking at chapter 6 verses 12 through 19 and when i say we're continuing our, our journey it's more like a climb up a mountain there may be some weeks when the trek it, it isn't too difficult but there there will be others where and you've probably already, already experienced some of these weeks where it feels like we're climbing straight up the face of the mountain. A verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans, it can be quite challenging at times. Paul's themes, his arguments, the theology that he's expounding is not always easy to process and to understand. We really have to listen, and we have to, to focus so that we can track what Paul is saying. But church, the book of Romans God's Word, illuminated by His Holy Spirit, it will provide treasure for a lifetime if we will faithfully dig into it. Now we've titled this series on Romans, How the Gospel Changes Everything. God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we know that there is not a truer statement in all the universe. The gospel, it does change everything. Everything. The good news of what God has done through the person and work of Jesus Jesus Christ to reconcile us to Himself. It's glorious, glorious news. And I want to remind everyone of a couple things we're doing here at Doxa in an effort to live out this conviction that we have that the gospel changes everything. First, Last week, we, we passed out these cards. They should have been on the chairs, and I think there were some at the table in the back. And these cards, I'm not sure what they're, they're officially called, but we're calling them the Who Are Your Three Cards? And this is my card right here, and I've written down the names of, of three individuals that I'm gonna be praying for, and I'm gonna be looking for opportunities to share the gospel with, and we hope that you all will, will take part in that as well. Next week is... Are bring a Friend to Church Sunday, and I'm going to be inviting, Lord willing, these three individuals to be here with us to, to worship. Um, breakfast is going to be served from 9.15 to 9.45, so encu- I encourage you all to be here, to have a meal together, uh, to welcome visitors into our midst, and this, this is going to be a great opportunity not just to invite people and share a meal and have a little bit of fellowship. But this is going to be an opportunity for people to hear the gospel and to worship the Lord with us. So don't forget, next week, invite a friend to church Sunday. And really, it doesn't even have to be a friend. Just invite somebody to church Sunday and we'll have a meal together and we'll worship the Lord and they will hear the gospel. Now when it comes to our passage this morning, there is a very significant theme that Paul is beginning to tease out. And you may have picked up on this a little bit last week, but it's becoming more and more obvious in our passage this week, and we're going to see it as we continue to go through the book of Romans. And the statement that I think accurately describes what's going on here in in Romans 6, and, and we're going to continue to see it in our passage as we work through it, is justifying faith is never alone. Justifying faith is never alone. Up until chapter 6, Paul has been devoting much of his letter to explaining what justification is and how justification works. And those of us who are, are Christians, we have been justified. We have been declared righteous by God, by His grace, through faith. And justification, it is a one-time event. And it's something that happens outside of ourselves. It is a work of God. And hopefully hopefully you've been able to see that as we've worked through Romans over the past couple of months. Well, now that Paul has laid down the doctrine of justification, he is he's transitioning to our sanctification. I'm going to define that for you in just a minute if that's a new term for you. He's transitioning from justification to sanctification. Now, both of those terms, justification and sanctification, are similar things and that they are both provided for by Christ. So in one way, justification and sanctification are inseparably, inseparably joined together, yet they differ. Sanctification is the continual process of being made more holy. Sanctification is the continual process of being made more holy. Remember, justification, that is a one-time deal. Sanctification, on the other hand, it is a continual process. It's the process of Christians being conformed into the image of the one who has justified us, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Sanctification is also a work of grace through faith. And our sanctification, our our being made more holy, is possible only because of the finished work of Christ. And we we have to be very clear in that as we transition from justification to sanctification this this morning. And there's a reason that Paul lays down justification before, before he moves on here. Our natural tendency is to believe that sanctification is something that we only do for ourselves, this is not true. This mindset can creep in, or a dangerous mindset can creep in where we tell ourselves, I've been justified by God, and I know that that was his doing, but this sanctification, my growth as a Christian, that's all up to me. Not only is this not true, but it can be absolutely demoralizing in some cases, and it can lead to pride and arrogance. In others. We must remember that the Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails as we grow to be more like Christ. Now, there are certainly some, some real and proactive things that we do as we grow in our faith, but the Holy Spirit is the one who enables it all. And I, I just wanted to be very, very clear about that as we, as we continue to talk this morning. We have, we have to get that before we start working through our passage. So, as we begin to look at verses 12 through 19 this morning, it's important, let's remember also what Paul says in verse 11. Verse 11 is, is the summary statement of what Paul has been saying thus far in chapter 6. Let's read that together so, so our minds can be set in the right place. Must consider move forward. Dead, Paul writes, so you are and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All Christians. All of us who know Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in light of that that statement, dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, let's approach our passage this morning. Let's let's begin by looking at verses 12 through 14 together. I'm gonna read them again. Paul writes, Let Grace. In verse 12, Paul is giving an imperative statement. He's giving a, a crucial statement, a, a command that sin must no longer be allowed to reign in the life of the Christian. As followers of Christ, we have been transferred from the realm of sin and into the kingdom of God. Our passports, if you will, they no longer say citizens and residents of the realm of sin. We've been given new life through and in Christ. And we now belong to the kingdom of God. And listen, listen to this next reality. This is such good news. And some of you really need to hear this this morning. Sin's power is broken for the one who trusts in Christ. Christ. Sin no longer has any control or any claim on us who belong to Jesus. John Wesley has a a help. Wesley says, sin remains, although it no longer reigns. Sin remains, although it no longer reigns. And we we would be wrong if we understood that death to sin means that we as Christians no longer wrestle with or struggle with sin. That is not at all what is being said here. But Paul's making it very clear that sin's power, it has been broken. And because sin's power has been broken, this must be evident in the way that we live our lives. It must be evident in practice. Our lives should demonstrate that we have been freed from the power of sin. We've been transferred from the realm and dominion of sin. We don't don't live there anymore. So let's not act like that is still where we make our home. When sin is allowed to reign, when it's allowed to make its kingdom in our heart, it will make us obey its passions. We will obey desires for sin when it's allowed to reign in our heart. And that is what, what verse 12 is saying. Now we should understand that Paul, Paul here, he's not just, he's also talking about the desires of the mind, our desires to have our way or to exercise control over others. He's talking about things like envy, pride, dissension, and jealousy. We would be making a big mistake if we read this and we only thought about our physical bodies in relation to sin. It's about more than that. Paul's Paul's describing um, who we are as human beings in contact with the world. That that is what he's talking about here. And it's important that we remember that. Not just our physical bodies, but who we are as human beings in contact with the world. In verse 13, Paul continues with imperative statements urging us not to present our members to sin, but instead to present ourselves to God. Now there's, there's a strong military image going on here. Paul's giving the image of of a soldier presenting themselves to a general or a king. Now that we are dead to sin, we must avoid using our, our resources, we must avoid using our abilities, our natural capacities to serve sin. We have a new king now and we are in service to God. The military imagery that's being used, it it becomes even more apparent when we understand how the word instruments is being used here. The word for instruments, it means weapons. So Paul is saying, don't present your members, don't present your your natural capacities as weapons for unrighteousness, instead we as born-again Christ followers, as people who have been brought from death to life, we choose to place ourselves and our weapons at the disposal of our God. Our weapons, our natural capacities that God has given us are at the disposal of our master and our king. We're told to present our members as instruments for righteousness, not for unrighteousness. We willingly, we hand over to God the weapons that he has given us, our natural capacities and abilities. Now, righteousness, it has has a moral meaning here. We conduct ourselves and behave in a way that is pleasing to God. Point. It's only through our righteousness that is attained through faith in Christ that we are able to be obedient to the righteousness that God demands. I want to say that again to make sure that's clear. It's only through our righteousness that is attained through faith in Christ that we are able to be obedient to the righteousness that God demands. It's our faith in Christ and the righteousness that is is given to us that enables us to be obedient to God. We in our own strength, church hear this, we in our own strength, we are incapable of doing this. And brothers and sisters, we will either be destroyed by pride or despair if we think that we can attain righteousness on our own. I can tell you in my own life there have been times when I've fallen on both sides of this. Pride when I think it's all me, and despair when I'm not relying and trusting on Christ in pursuit of holiness. Just like our salvation and justification is through Christ, so is our sanctification and our ability to live holy lives before God. Now, Paul, he closes the thought that he's been developing in verse 14, and really, what he's doing there is he's giving us a promise. He's giving a promise, assuring believers, assuring all of us who are in Christ that sin will not rule over us. Verse 14 says, For since you will have not under law, will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We, as born-again believers, are no longer part of the Old Covenant. We're no longer part of the Mosaic law system. Now, listen, listen very carefully to what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that the law no longer has any value. I'm not saying that the Old Testament law is no longer important in our lives. It's extremely valuable. And it's extremely important. And, and as we work through Romans 7, we're going to see how important the law is. But Christians are no longer under the law. Instead, we are under grace. And now that we are in the age of grace, we are enabled to be obedient to what God commands by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look back in the Old Testament, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they prophesied about this taking place. They prophesied about this new covenant that was coming that would be marked by grace. Real quick, listen to what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 through 20. I think that'll help you get the picture a little bit. It says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. The, here's, the, here's the key part, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. God puts his spirit within us, the Holy Spirit in us, that enables us to live out the commands that he's given us. Brothers and sisters, under grace, under the grace of God, sin has no power over us. Now, in case you haven't already seen this, the Apostle Paul He was a really, really smart guy. And he rightly, he anticipates an objection that some might have to what he's been saying thus far. And he presents that objection in verse 15, and then he fleshes it it out in verses 16 through 19. Let's read that again together, and then let's unpack it. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, in those verses, there's there's some repetition to things that we've already seen this morning. But there's also a point that we cannot miss. As human beings, we have only two options when it comes to where our loyalties will lie. Either we are a slave of sin, neutral position. Either we belong to the realm of sin, or we belong to God. And one of the most powerful stories that I've ever heard that um, it, it articulates this truth, it came from a former heroin addict. On six separate occasions, this man entered rehab. And each time, he would quickly relapse. Finally, after the seventh time, and this is a true story, by the way, after the seventh time in rehab, he had come out and he had been clean for a number of years. And I have, I have a friend who spoke to this man and he asked him, he said, what was the difference about the seventh time? Like what, what was magical about the seventh time that you got out and you've, you've remained clean? These were similar rehab programs. There didn't appear to be anything different that was happening. So what was it about this last time that that has enabled you to be free from your addiction? And this this is what the guy said. He said, the first six times that I entered rehab, I just wanted to be free. I just wanted to be free from this addiction. All I thought about was being freed from the shackles that addiction puts on you. And it was actually this passage in Romans that changed his life. He finally realized that there there was no neutral position. Every human being is a slave to that which they obey. And this man realized that true freedom, true freedom can only be found in belonging to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And when he grasps the the truth of the passage that we're looking at this morning, we think freed him from his addiction. Too often we think that we're giving up our freedom by submitting to God. And maybe you're here today and and you're not a Christian and that is a fear that you have. I know that that was once a fear that I had, that I would be, be giving up Freedom by submitting to God, by receiving Christ. And instead of thinking that we're giving up freedom by submitting to God, the question that we should be asking is this, should I serve sin or should I serve God? Those are the only, those are the only two options. Servant of sin or servant of God. And true freedom True freedom, friend, is found in knowing and obeying Christ. That is where true freedom is found. Jesus says in John 8, 31 to 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Christians Christians are the ones who are actually free because we are free to obey God. We are free to act according to our new nature and our our new citizenship that we have through Christ. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today, I want to make sure that you know that Jesus is an infinitely greater master than sin. If you don't know Jesus, the greatest thing you could ever do is receive him as your Savior and as your Lord. Let him remove the chains of sin. Let him remove the guilt and the shame that you feel. He is the good shepherd. He is the bread of life. He cares deeply for those who are his. Renounce your slavery to sin and instead cling to Christ as your Lord. Those of us who have been set have become free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness and obedience and have become obedient from the heart. God, by his grace, he's broken the shackles of sin so that glad-hearted obedience can be our reality. God, God is not interested in superficial obedience. Instead, we, we willingly offer ourselves. We, we willingly um, offer our obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, this this willing obedience that we offer, it only serves to increase our joy. There's a joyous freedom that is found in obeying the Lord. Sin and impurity, it leads to lawlessness and to misery. Christ followers, we present our capacities, we present the gifts that God has given us because he's given all of us natural gifts. We all have giftings in different areas, and we present these gifts to God. We present them to righteousness, which leads to our sanctification. I know as we've been going through this, at least I pray, I trust, how this, you've already seen many points of application. You're seeing things that you're seeing how this scripture applies to your, to your life. Um, I know God, God works as we, as we pull out what the word is saying. He will apply things that I'm not, I'm probably not even going to say. But I want to mention a few things because I want to make sure these are not, these are not missed. Church, our, our passage this morning, it shows us that our union with Christ and, and belonging to Christ, it changes us in profound ways. Belonging to Christ, it changes the way that we view the world. Romans 6 as a whole, the chapter, is about our emancipation from sin and entrance into new life in Christ. In our new life, in our union with Christ, it changes us. And specifically, our union with Christ, it changes our identity, it shifts our allegiances, and it alters our desires. I want us to spend just a couple minutes thinking about each of these things. So first, our union with Christ, it changes our identity. Before we knew Christ, sin reigned in our hearts. Before we knew Christ, sin made us obey its passions and desires. Before we knew Christ, we used our our abilities and capacities to serve sin instead of serving God. And now all of that is flipped. Christ is the one who reigns in our hearts. We now obey Christ instead of our sinful desires. We use our talents and abilities that we've been given to serve God and not to serve sin. So let let me ask you a question this morning. Has your union with Christ truly changed your identity? Has it truly changed the way that you carry yourself? Has your union with Christ changed the way you treat your family members? Has your union with Christ changed the way that you treat your spouse? Has it changed the way that you treat those who don't like you? Has belonging to Christ changed the way you work, the way you conduct yourselves at your job. If you belong to Christ, you're audience to this by the way we live and the way that we conduct ourselves. Second, our union with Christ, it shifts our allegiances. Our union with Christ shifts our allegiances. I think this was very clear as we looked at our passage, but I want to make sure we get it. As human beings, we, we either belong to the realm of sin or we belong to the kingdom of God. Those are the only two options. Our union with Christ it means that our allegiance is to him. We present ourselves to him as soldiers to a, to a general or soldiers to a king. Remember that we, we are dead to sin. Therefore, we do not allow it to reign in our bodies. We don't allow sin to have control in our life. Our allegiance, friend, our allegiance is not to sin, but it is to King Jesus. Third, our union with Christ, it alters our desires. Our union with Christ alters our desires. Those of us who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we've had our desires and passions altered by nature of our union with him. Sin no longer tastes sweet to us in the same way that it once did. Now I'm not saying that there is never ever a desire for sin. We know that we will will struggle and wrestle against sin as long as we remain in these, these earthly bodies. But we are given new holy desires through our union with Christ. We want to please the Lord with the way that we live our lives. We want to honor and glorify him in everything that we do. The desire for our names to be known, the desire for for our names to be great, they should not be present when we belong to Christ. Our union with Christ gives us a desire to to obey him and to, to serve him. So in addition to this passage showing how our union with Christ changes us, There's there's one other thing that I really want to make sure we grab on from what we've looked at this morning. And that's this. Holiness in our lives will not be gained simply through greater effort. Holiness, personal holiness in our lives will not be gained simply through greater effort. Holiness is important. Now, we're, we're right to emphasize that personal holiness is important in the life of a Christ follower that should be emphasized too often. And a lot of our churches, that is de-emphasized. So we're right to emphasize holiness, the way that we live matters. Our behavior and our conduct, it is important. And I think that's crystal clear from the passage we've looked at this morning. And it's clear from other places like Hebrews twelve fourteen, where we're told to, to strive for peace and for holiness without which we will not see the Lord. However, this is big. We're missing the point if we forget that sanctification is God working in us to fulfill the holy desires that He gives us when He saves us. Sanctification, the, the process of being made holy, it is, it is God's work. Now, we are required to, to exert ourselves in sustained obedience. We most certainly should work hard at pursuing holiness in our lives. We work hard not to allow sin to have power over us. Because remember, we've been freed from that through Christ. But the reality is, we will always, ultimately fail in holiness if our eyes are not fixed on the cross. Let's say that again. We will ultimately, always, the cross. Sanctification. Is God enabling us more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness? And I hope hope that that's been clear as we've examined this passage this morning. I hope it's been clear that justifying faith is never alone. Sanctification, growth in Christ, it always accompanies true justification in Christ. And it's not simply in our own strength, it's through the Holy Spirit enabling us and empowering us to live holy lives before God. Just like our justification is a work of God, our sanctification is a work of God. And we work hard, we strive for holiness, but it's God that's pushing us forward.